Hello and welcome to Move Conversations. This is your host Venkat. In this episode, we talk to Mr. Guru Prasad Rao Pandit. My co-producer Mrigank and I know Guru for many years now. He's a fellow IFTN and the current president of the IFT Alumni Association in Singapore. He's a veteran grain trader and currently the managing director of Invivo Trading Asia Private Limited. We are happy to announce that Move Conversations is starting a new series called Move Conversations Trade Stuff. In this new channel, within the Move Conversations, we talk to international traders as well as people from other professions who enable international trade in various ways. This will include IFT alumni as well as others. Who better to kick off this series than our president of the Alumni Association, Mr. Guru Prasad? So, Guru, welcome to Move Conversations Trade Stuff. Thank you. So, uh, without further delay, let's begin with the start of the journey of your career in this business. How did you get started in grain business? Uh, more by accident than by design. Uh, okay. <laughs> at that point in time, when uh, when we graduated from IIFT uh, with right. an MBA in international business, and obviously we were looking for opportunities. Opportunities right. those days were very different than uh, opportunities uh, today. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, and so it was just uh, I started my career really in not in the grains business, but actually doing something very different as a management trainee in uh, those days, Tata Exports. Uh, okay. Today, Tata International, True. and then an op- somewhere down the road, an opportunity came up uh, through contacts for a trading company in uh, Bangkok, mm-hmm. Thailand, a global company, but that was purely entrepreneurial, mm-hmm. uh, and that's where I started uh, really. So I started from zero, trying to understand uh, the business, uh, just as any newcomer would, and. Uh, I was fortunate to have some very good managers uh, and exposure, uh, hands-on exposure, and that probably accelerated the learning curve. Okay. And then uh, I moved to Singapore in uh, mid nineties, uh, mm-hmm. again with the same company. I spent, uh, and since then I've been in the grains business. So it's okay. more nearly 25, 26 years uh, in the business. Uh, and then my career progressed with stints in uh, Singapore, a short stint in uh, UK, in London. Mm-hmm. Then back here in Singapore at the turn of the millennium. Right. Uh, working with, by that time I had moved on to a multinational company, a Dutch-based company, uh, then an Asian-based uh, company that got acquired by the Chinese government uh, later right. on. So about three right. years for uh, uh, the Chinese government. Uh, doing essentially the same things. And during that period, you tend to acquire specializations based on your career. Uh, So I started to specialize either in, uh, uh, well, you can specialize in two areas. You can specialize in products or you can specialize in geographies. Right, right. And my exposure and experience took me uh, through becoming uh, being focused more on geographies, so Asia and the Middle uh-huh. East. Okay. Uh, and that's what I still do today. 
Okay, uh, but you still do some of the, you know, uh, you have some focus on certain major grains which you have, you know, acquired expertise over the years, right? That's correct. Uh, my involvement principally, our business is highly specialized. It's right. big in size, but it's very specialized and very specific. The world knows of grains uh, in in a very loose sense of the term, but grains encompasses a much bigger, a wider spectrum. Uh, of all cereal productions of different grains. So you have wheat, you have corn, you have rice, uh, you have minor coarse grains, millets, uh, right. the different scales of production. Mm -hmm. uh, and within that, my specialization is in an area of uh, feed grains, uh, which principally are corn, uh, and all raw materials that end up in the animal feed industry. So these are all intermediate products in the food chain uh, that goes through the meat industry and then ends up uh, on, uh, in the first part of the human uh, food chain. Right. So, so for the first timers, uh, uh, feed grains are basically those that are uh, used in, as animal feed, correct? Correct. That's true. Uh, but then there's a very big uh, overlap between feed and food uh, grains. Uh, right. The distinction is food grains is what is directly consumed in the human food chain, rice, for instance. Right. And Absolutely. feed grains is uh, an intermediate stage where it goes through the meat industry and ends up in the food chain. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, wheat is another food grain, but it also has used uh, the lower qualities of wheat uh, mm -hmm. also is used in uh, feed production. So, and simplistically put, what is the feed industry? The feed industry is where uh, just as we humans need a balanced diet, uh, we need carbohydrates for energy, we need uh, proteins for uh, muscle synthesis, you need uh, vitamins, amino acids, and fats. Similarly, animals also need the same uh, sources of uh, food. So right. the carbohydrates typically tends to come from corn and wheat. Mm -hmm. uh, the protein comes from vegetable extractions of oil seeds, such as soybeans, right. and the extraction, uh, which is protein rich, soybean meal. Likewise, you could extend that analogy to any oil seed, uh, canola or sun, uh, sunflower Ground seed. Groundnut and so on, right? Exactly. But soybeans and canola are the two dominant oil seeds uh, purely because of uh, the scale, the size. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then there are, you know, they have vitamins, amino acids, and other food additives. So all of them put together gets made into feed, which is essentially a, a, a pre-prepared uh, balanced mix of carbs, proteins, amino acids, and fats, which are right. fed to animals. Right. So which are the major nations, uh, you know, which are the major growers, which are the major exporters, which are the major importers when you talk about these uh, uh, feed grains or grains in general? Okay. Uh, there's two things we need to differentiate. One is production and one is trade. Right. Uh, when you talk of productions, you will typically, the, the countries that produce more are ones that have arable land, excess Correct. arable land. So land mass is one important criteria. Uh, and uh, not just land uh, in terms of size, but land uh, in terms of arability. Correct. Where you can actually grow crops. So the big producers would be uh, 
USA, mm-hmm. uh, South America, specifically Brazil, Uruguay, Argentina, right. Europe, mm-hmm. the Black Sea region, Eastern Europe, Australia for certain specific uh, products, right. China, mm-hmm. uh, and India, of course. Right. But then when you look at, well, this is just production. When you look at trade, it's mm-hmm. very different. Uh, the factors that define what gets exported from where and what gets imported into which part of the world right. is, is a function of uh, population density and arable okay. land. Because of domestic, you, you're leading towards domestic consumption. Is that correct? Uh, well, for the, the ingredients are the following. So land mass that have low population will always end up with exportable surpluses. Correct, correct. So Absolutely. by that uh, definition, South America, the US, Black Sea. There are countries that have, or regions that have a large and dense population base, limited land size, and not uh, very arable uh, land in terms of size. So by definition, the Middle East, Southeast Asia, parts of Africa, mm-hmm. these are the consuming net consuming nations. So mm. these two factors automatically determine what is the trade flow. Where does product move from which country to which country? Uh, then you have uh, you know, certain countries that are, or regions again, that mm-hmm. are uh, big producers, but also big consumers like Europe, like mm-hmm. India, like China, mm-hmm. right. wherein most of the trade is internal. So mm-hmm. a lot of what gets produced uh, within these countries gets consumed within the country. Mm. True. India is a classic example, one of the biggest producers of rice and wheat in the world, mm. but not a participant in the world trade to the extent that other countries are. Correct. So, uh... We talked about the producing countries, but one of the things that we know is that, you know, for all these commodities, price is the first thing that comes to the top of our mind. So what factors influence price in uh, grain business or in, you know, uh, agri commodities in general, but more specifically, let's keep to to your specialization, the grain business. Um, Commodities in general are generic in nature. So you're absolutely right that the the principal factor that uh, that ultimately it boils down to is the price. Right. Uh, quality does have an influence, uh, but it is less of an influence than the price. I mean, that's the very definition of a generic uh, commodity. And it's not a product. Yes. yes. It's not a branded so, product, right? It's, exactly. There's no, uh, unless you go into wheat flour production that ends up as a brand on the supermarket shelf or vegetable yeah. oil that ends up in right. cooking. So we're not talking, you know, we're talking the segment of the industry that is an intermediate raw material in the production of an end product. Right. So the price influences, well, the biggest one is uh, how much is produced and how Mm -hmm. much is consumed. What we call the supply and demand balance sheet. Economics 101, right? Yes. Uh, So a country, so if you have a large production, you have favorable growing conditions, you have extra acreage for that particular year. And if you have uh, a demand that is steady or growing at a steady pace, and that balance ratio determines Mm -hmm. price on a longer term scale. So you're talking year to year prices. 
uh, whereas within that there can be different uh, different uh, you know factors that influence price on a short term scale mm-hmm. for instance you could have uh, a logistics mm-hmm. disruptions in logistics that create imbalance in prices from region to region or from right. origin to origin mm-hmm. and uh, then you have certain maybe you know some countries for their own reasons uh, adopt protectionist policies restriction of imports tariff rate quotas mm. uh, systems that creates and again an imbalance and that has a, that has a relationship with the price does it's an influencing factor on price certain origins for political reasons may not be liked mm. so that creates a spread a price spread between multiple origins and changes the nature of flows okay. so all these are short term impacts but the longer term impact is purely snd uh, balance sheets as well as a product like corn a commodity mm. like corn uh, also has alternate uses it is used partly in energy as uh, you know about a decade yes. ago there's been uh, ethanol production right in brazil and exactly in ethanol so Today, for instance, one third of the U.S. corn production goes into uh, the ethanol industry, into biodiesel and ethanol. Correct. So these are factors. I think the biggest factor that we've seen uh, is really so. These are what we call fundamental factors, factors that are determined by supply and demand. Mm-hmm. Then we have the influence of managed money, what we call mm-hmm. managed money, or the velocity of money in markets. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of the business is uh, you know there are commodity exchanges the biggest being the chicago mercantile exchange what right. used to be known as the chicago board of trade correct and that is the biggest uh, uh, paper exchange in the world for in our business true and then you have european exchanges the matif you have dalian in china you have the ncdex in india uh, and you have different exchanges but by and large the world is focused and what drives the world trade is uh, chicago cme uh, prices mm. there and being a paper market it tends to attract a lot of uh, managed money by managed money mm. we mean hedge funds we mean uh, we mean index funds we mean the financial players essentially and the why why does it attract uh, money the the commodities also over the years has become another asset class in the portfolio of uh, managed money so when there's a tweaking of different ratios that the financial uh, industry invests in across mm. different industries mm. uh, and because of the sheer size and the velocity of money flow it tends to create a lot of volatility in prices right. uh and the sheer size can impact also in direction that can be different from what the fundamentals dictate so the fundamentals could be telling you that prices need to remain steady mm. uh or at equilibrium whereas in the portfolio allocations of index funds for instance mm. can cause the market to move wildly and so i think that's what has become challenging over the years so not only do you have to keep uh, an eye on uh, fundamentals but you also have to keep an eye on uh, uh, the money flow the managed money so uh, 
let me let me uh, see whether i can simplify for some of the uh, listeners about the money flow so what you are saying is that there are people who treat these investments they treat firstly treat these as investments and yes. as a certain uh, asset class and they would invest uh, for the purpose for a, for a shorter period of time most likely for the purpose of making gains in the market that's correct right so which uh, non non players not people often in from the trade uh, international trade would call it speculation right is that uh, because they don't have a west they don't have a real interest like a um, a grain processor would have correct that's true yeah so so this is exactly where, where when we are talking about those people right of well, course others grain processors also hedge and you know we'll talk about that later they also take a position and so on because it is also a part of their interest but this group of people you're talking about are uh, which you say you have to watch and all traders have to watch is like these people are putting money in and in a particular direction so this is the direction in which the prices may go which may have nothing to do with the fundamentals of the uh, you know supply demand position in in that's, real terms that's Is true that though i would think that uh, uh, i think uh, you know i would hesitate to use the word speculator uh, because that has a, a very negative connotation sure. uh, whereas i think the the more appropriate word is uh, probably risk uh, takers uh, in business there is a uh, or anything in life in our personal investments uh, there's no risk without reward or there's no reward without risk and vice versa so you have to uh, a lot of these uh, funds or managed money put you know there's in there's cutting edge research and uh, and data analytics that goes into a decision making process so it's it's nothing is done uh, you know just because i think i wake up one day and i think that this is going to go up or this is going to go down and therefore i make my investment decision so i think it's a uh, it's a question of risk how much risk do you put on the table and what kind of returns do you expect now a lot of them do expect what we call an asymmetrical uh, risk reward profile so for every unit of risk you probably expect two or three times the reward and that's how the whole risk management process that's how they operate so this is leverage right so is that correct well it's not it's expectation of an abnormal re, uh, reward uh, for a certain risk that is assumed right and then you live and die by uh, the the end result okay so good and we will come back to risk management again you know sure. later in our discussions uh, and especially from the uh, perspectives of the of the processors right 